All right, gang, welcome back to your favorite Tuesday afternoon you've had so far today. I am your host, David Littlejohn, and I have to tell you, not in studio with me today. Katie is home with sick kiddos, trying to not get sick herself, battling what I can only believe must be the plague because she is pretty diehard. I have to tell you, Dave, I was gonna I was gonna masquerade as Katie Shook, and I don't think anybody went able to tell. It's radio, right? Just like yes. they did on the soap operas back in the day. The the role of Katie Shook will be pay, played by Derek Simmons today. That's right. If you haven't figured it out, pinch hitting today for Katie, one of our favorite attorneys, Mr. Derek Simmons. Thank you and welcome back. I know this is two weeks in a row you've been on the show. It's crazy. It's a streak. It is a streak. And it's so now we're already having to plan next week's show i think we might have to yes. of course as you know because we're pinch hitting today you can expect a lot of ad lib and a lot of other stuff that you probably didn't expect because neither did we does that mean we get to talk about basketball well that's a good start do you can you explain where this even comes from this goes back a ways when, for, when you say basketball oh where it comes from so, so my uh, freshman year at the university of kansas was also the year that Kansas won the national championship, Danny Manning and Danny and the Miracles. And from then on, I was thoroughly brainwashed. And much of what I've done since then is, you know, revolves around the Kansas basketball. And then you went to a lesser but related basketball school, North Carolina. Right. Which has won a couple of championships since then. And Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and so we have this common I, I, I mean, there's only three in my office since we've been there but you know you're breaking up dave oh wait we're in the same room <laughs> so but that's just the recent ones i mean we don't really count anything before say 93 uh now anyway it's been fun so as you can imagine uh, and of course this is what if, if you're not a basketball fan i don't expect you to really get this but what makes it sort of fun for derek and i is or derek and me right is that Roy Williams was formerly the coach of Kansas. He's a Carolina alum, and he's now the head coach at Carolina. Uh, so uh, there's this but constant he's trail. A, he's been a brief 15 years at Kansas between there and yes. went to like four or five Final Fours. Correct. And the other reason is Kansas seems to be the nemesis of Roy Williams. Anytime that uh, they play, it seems like there's the Carolina never wins. So I'm, I'm always dreading a matchup of Carolina versus Kansas in the brackets. And that just gives me great angst. Plus Derek and I, I'm not sure we can be in the same room for that game. We I kind of I politely we agreed try. that we just, cause we could cheer for the other guy's team, except in that circumstance. And uh, although I'm going to give Derek the higher intensity fan award, than me I've, I've kind of mellowed as i became a, a more frequent parent and so i have daughters basketball tournaments are just not a super high priority in my household so i'm kind of fighting the the entire trend in my home when it's march madness whereas i have four out of five will watch the game with me right and know the rock chalk chant right so and actually will ask to change the channel to the game because they're wondering what they're missing if That's something right. else is like it's like well we could watch cartoons or it, netflix or something but the game's on it is especially fun when my seven-year-old well she's eight as of yesterday my eight-year-old daughter will say dad will you pause the game 
while I go get a drink. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so you've officially achieved that status in your your home, where mine is the. No, I don't want to just up and take a random trip somewhere if we're if I want to watch a particular game, uh, and I'm usually outvoted instantly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's okay. Uh, but yeah, and so Derek, you've also got we we celebrate this. You started this St. James Day. Yeah, you started. We celebrate this in our office now. It's an official office holiday. It totally is. It's the first Friday of the NCAA tournament. Which is now like a month from Thursday. Right. I mean, it's it's actually coming right up. This year is on March. Month from Friday. 16th. 20th. I think it's 22nd. Could the be first wrong. First Friday. It's I'm not the first Friday. relatively confident. All right. I'm going to look this up on the St. James Day website, and then I will get back to you. I said that's That would be stjamesday.com, as is I understand it. Right. I, I seem to recall the 14th being a potential travel day for me and having to return back by the 16th to make the game. So, well, I know oh, it, it might is, be the 15th. I think it, is late. it might be the 15th. It is coming right up regardless. Okay, there it is. stjamesday.com, March 22nd, 2019. In which case. I may be out of trouble for that scheduling conflict, which would be preferable. Anyway, St. James Day honors the the inventor of basketball, James Naismith. And James Naismith was Kansas's first basketball coach and its only losing coach, but let's let's ignore that. Well, somebody had to lay the foundations for the game itself and you had there's some trial and error, right? When you invent the game, other people keep testing the rules you have, and then you have to make new rules. So it was almost not fair. Yeah, he, he was trying to do two things at the same time. It was really difficult. But at any rate. Yeah, I mean, can you really moderate while also improving? It's almost impossible. So only you, Dave, in financial planning. How's that for a free commercial there? Wait, this is yes. not a free commercial, but either way. <laughs> yeah, the views expressed were <laughs> paid for by us. We can have them. Uh so this is, and, and why are we talking about, well, this is our true wealth moment, right? Actually, I really enjoy the tournament time every year. I mean, I don't get to track, I don't track sports nearly like I used to. There's just a lot of other moving parts of my life. It's not a huge priority, but come tournament time, I like to just carve that out, and that is just the moment. So I, I think really this, is, re-engage. this is just about the prime example of true wealth for me. I have always taken off that Friday the first Friday of the NCAA tournament Mm -hmm. and just watched basketball. Not because there weren't other people, you know, important clients that needed important things. Although I try to prepare them, but, (laughs) but because we don't live to work, we work to live. And I, I probably have lost some opportunities at some point. Um, But one of the things I did historically was I took my children with me to St. James day. And um, when they were young enough, and and it wasn't a big deal. They would even miss school. Now it's le- it's less likely that that's going to happen anymore now that they're all of an age where it's important. But it was it was quality time. Yeah. Well, you know, I feel like the old Norelco commercials. You know, I liked it so much, I bought the company. Right. So I liked it so much. We just declared it an official holiday at the office. Uh, so if you've ever heard of this, essentially, and we do this. Thursday is not an official holiday, but the first 
launch, not the playing games, but the first two days of the tournament. It's just game after game after game after game. And so we have in our – we have a big conference room that we use when we host events and educational stuff. Uh, and it's got a like a 10-foot screen in it, right? So we have this big projector screen, and we throw the games up on there, and we just let them play all day. And then on Friday, we actually do a bunch of you know food and pretty much – don't try. I'm the same way. It's like, well, you can. I'm at the office. If you if you walk up and push a document in front of my nose, I might be willing to sign it. But I'm really not interested in getting into deep discussions about the you know your financial future when I need to see where the next buzzer beater is going to yeah, be. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if their audience could see the quote marks around at the office, but I could certainly certainly. Yeah, see. I'd be like, I'm physically there, but if if people were, don't understand, my office is also kind of like the doghouse. If I was in trouble with Heather at home, she's like, you need to go. I'd be like, well, I'm just going to go to the office. Because <laughs> I love the office. I, I do not dread going to work. I don't have Mondays that are miserable. The only thing about Monday that's rough is that I have to, you know, the market's open at 6.30 a.m. So I'm up early, and I'm not a natural morning person. But other than that, I mean, and I say that, and then this morning, 5.14 a.m., and I wake up and look at the clock and go, well, now what? So Now you get up. Well, actually... My rule is I will lay there up to 30 minutes. But if I'm still there 31 minutes and I'm still awake, I'm getting up. I'm going to go do something. That will happen in the middle of the night sometimes. Hmm. But I'm not going to give it any more time than that. Yeah. I don't know that I ever can stay awake for 31 minutes if I'm laying down, period. <laughs> so, but that's a different story. Yeah, If you wake up and everything's spooled up enough to get up, then yeah, just do it. But now we're really off track. So... There are some things that I want to I want to quiz today. I've got this so I have this chance to have this attorney in our midst and I promised him one day I'm going to ask uh, really exotic questions that nobody should know the answer to. Uh, what I've discovered is that Derek has lots of answers and some of them are even true. Yes. And what we we may play a game of you know Seriously, <laughs> I, like so, we're, that, that might be the game we play next. Is seriously, uh, so we're gonna we'll do that, uh, and then we're gonna talk a little bit about you know your money and some other things too. But we've had our true wealth moment to launch, and now we're going to take our next um, insane wealth break. Right, they're going to so you can listen to these very important messages to come back and listen to more of this. All right, stick around. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Derek Simmons. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240. Thank you, Ian. We're back. The music's Okay. Okay, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I should wear the headphones more. For uh, <laughs> So here we are. Uh, welcome back. True Wealth Radio Show. Host David Littlejohn. And in studio, subbing for Katie today. Derek Simmons. And we're going to... So we're going to play... I called it the game of re-series. Uh, we're going to ask some fun questions. So I'm going to I'm going to ask Derek a few questions, and the the theme of this one is going to be questions you've kind of always wanted to ask an attorney, but it was just too expensive to rattle them off, right? So I have in in studio I can ask fun questions to ask an attorney that we you would otherwise say not on the clock. I'm not going to waste my time with that, right? Right. Uh, so. The first one, and then and I give you permission as well, Derek, if you have obscure financial professional question, well, Derek's pretty good at this stuff, right? But if you have some obscure question that comes up where you go, all right, well, how did you? All right, fair game. Okay? okay. Fair game. And I will try to do my best within the law to be fully transparent on any of these things. 
Okay. So the first question is, how did you select? So where did you attend law school and how did you select said institution? Oh, I attended Northwestern School of Law of Lewis and Clark College in Portland. Okay. And I was looking for the law, the law school with the longest name. Why? No, not really. <laughs> not really. No, you know, and you'd say, well, I went to Northwestern yeah, School of Law. Yeah, I think you really missed out on Northwestern Chemeketa State. Yes, that's but, possible. Uh, <laughs> I, I, if you say Northwestern School of Law, then they say, oh, in Chicago. No, no, no. That's Northwestern University. That's different. Yeah. And I think now it's going by Lewis and Clark Law School these days. So. But back in the day, it was Northwestern School of Law, Lewis and Clark. So how did I choose it? So people will ask me sometimes, is that a good school? And the answer is, it is the best law school I ever went to. Mm-hmm. Because frankly, nobody goes to more than one law school. Uh, I think you basically have, you know, there's Harvard, there's Stanford, there's University of Michigan, and then everybody else is is pretty much on an even basis, Yale except might go in there. maybe, I don't know about law. They're, they're, you know, big name school, but I don't know about law. Hmm. At any rate... Um, Northwestern School of Law was known for being the best environmental school in the nation, environmental law school. I had no interest in environmental law. I was going to say, this does not really (laughs) match up with your profile, but carry on. (laughs) No, I didn't, but it's kind of interesting. Northwestern School of Law trained an enormous number of environmental attorneys, half of whom went to work for industry. I think it's the ones that wanted to pay off their student loans. So this may also explain some of the policymaking in our state. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, so how did I choose? I applied. I wanted to live in Oregon. Okay. I was a newspaper editor in Salem before I went to law school. And I applied to all the Oregon schools, and I was admitted to all the Oregon schools. And I started comparing um, the financial aid. What was it going to cost me to go? Mm-hmm. So Lewis and Clark was the most expensive school. And Willamette was the mid-grade school, and the U of O was the least expensive as a state school. However, the financial aid packages make it about an even deal for any of the three. So they okay. gave bigger scholarships in at Lewis and Clark, and the medium scholarships, and then smaller scholarships. So then I figured, I'm going to go to the school with the largest job market. I want to go to school where I want to get a job because it's going to be helpful. So I went and there to, is went, no Roseburg Law School. You know, I keep hoping. Actually, we have a paralegal program at UCC. That's pretty good stuff. All right. But no, no law school. So I went to Portland. I'm just dying to know. This is totally off the track of where you're going here. But what's the paralegal do? What is a paralegal? Yeah. Okay. So it's a lot like a. Um, I mean, I know what a parakeet is. Yes. Well, similar. No, not not at all. Not at all. No, paralegals typically will draft documents under the direction of an attorney. And one of the things that that does is it makes a law practice less expensive and more efficient. Because if I charge people, you know, my hourly rate for typing uh, a whole contract, they wouldn't like that. We want somebody who knows what they're doing. Plus, I've seen you type, so. Well, you know, hey. Hey, I can use at least eight fingers. Fair enough. And the thumbs, too, sometimes. I'm getting pretty fast with those, although I'm not not a text guy. Anyway, so the idea is that, that paralegals will do the document preparation and sometimes interview witnesses, do the preliminary stuff, so that the attorneys can uh, spend their time where it's most effective. 
Okay. So it's an efficiency thing, and they are, well, it's like an, a, a trained assistant person that can pull something together and keep it sort of legally tied together. Yeah. So there's legal assistant, and then there's kind of a grade above that is paralegal. And okay. if you get a certification like at UCC, you'll see that there are uh, skills that they acquire that you wouldn't as a legal assistant. Noted. And it's always so law is fascinating to me because word usage is different than what I interpret as standard English, right? You know, what you would say when you're talking to somebody and say, All right, so Derek, you and I were gonna have a contract for something or other and said, Derek will do this thing. And will versus shall versus may are all sort of different strength of word in law there's some fun stuff although those in particular are not not as big a deal as people historically thought they were no okay well that's handy i Ma- just... may may versus will and chow may may implies much it's an different. option yes yeah. yes <laughs> so but you, you may do chow. it but you may not will and uh, chow are kind of interchangeable pretty pretty straightforward so next fun legal question i decide to play dr Wait a minute. JD is, oh. Google. Okay. I was just worried you were playing doctor. It was family program. I didn't want to get out of control here. So go ahead. What was your question? <laughs> yes. So, so I choose my, my legal degree via Google. Yes. And I want to go create some kind of contract with a counterparty. And we both look at it and agree to it and sign it. And uh, what's the probability that I screw it up? Well, actually, uh, there is no probability. I tell people a handshake is not a bad thing. It's not. Right. It's just it's, whether or not the other party agrees to the terms. It's only a bad thing if it goes sideways later. Okay. Well, I, I think probably a lot of the time um, handshake deals will be will work out just fine because people will be reasonable. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Not everybody is <laughs> we reasonable. Have, we have uh, <laughs> decent exposure to enough people to know that a lot of people are not going to be reasonable. And you don't know them to begin with. Sure. And what's more, I I talk about alien takeover. So I, I've given this presentation. Okay, this is not going to be one of these build-a-wall It's going to come back. It? It's going to come back. Oh, what co- me... We're talking about like aliens from not like extraterrestrial? Exactly. Okay, we'll go with that. All That's right. less controversial. And this is going to tie in. Okay. All right, so... Uh, let's suppose I form a company with my brother and then is your brother an alien? He's a great guy. Okay. He is my best friend since we were small children. Very well. Once he moved out of my room, then we got along fine. But anyway, so we form a company and the question is, do we need a written agreement? Well, uh, the temptation would be to say, no, we've been getting along well for almost 50 years. We can, we can work this out. And yet, there's Alzheimer's. There are spouses. There is a change in circumstances. Like uh, if he suffers a financial reversal and needs to sell this property that we own jointly, and so the I agreements don't. agreements on a property. Did we just see that? Context clues. All for right. example. For example. <laughs> but um, but we, we, we draft these agreements so that it deals with when we cannot agree otherwise. And then in an ideal, perfect world, everybody signs them. And then later, if we decide to do something different, everybody shakes hands on it and we do something different. You can agree to do something different. It's only if people aren't agreeing that you 
that you really need to rely on the written writing. Well, you can't wait until after the aliens take over. And really, my brother's not a best example there. Anybody that's ever been divorced has experienced an alien takeover. Truth. So you marry a perfectly wonderful person, and then at some point aliens take them over, and they make no sense at all. Or they took you over, but then but you you're didn't, not gonna you didn't notice it. it. Yeah. You didn't notice it, right? Yeah. It's always the other guy. Fair enough again. All right, so there you go. So the, there's kind of your answer to the agreement. But the, the question is, if I just, let's say that I want to draft an agreement with your brother. Right. Okay, and I just sort of write it up, and he looks at it, and we both go, seems all right, and we sign it. Is that legal? Is that a contract? It is a contract. The part that, that where you uh, get caught is the things you don't think about. So let's suppose it's an agreement to buy property. Mm-hmm. And everybody agrees that's what's going to happen. Well, does the agreement account for what happens if somebody doesn't make a payment? Does it deal with what happens to property taxes or existing renters? There are just all these background issues that are not apparent when you first come at something. It's only the experience that's going to show you those. All right. So you as an attorney now, what happens if in your sort of planning and wisdom... Do you ever miss something that's a background detail? And how do you handle something like that? Well, it's possible. Yeah. The best you can do is talk to the people that have the most experience, the most um, exposure to a topic and plumb them all out. I mean, I'm part of my job is to look into a crystal ball and say, what can go wrong? Yeah. And let's deal with it first. (laughs) You're sort of disaster mitigation. Yeah. And, and lots of times it's just a matter of saying, well, this could go wrong. What are yeah. we going to do about it? Yeah, it's like, it's not a buzzkill. He's an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. What could go wrong? It won't necessarily go wrong. And it, sometimes people will say, I just want to accept that risk. And I'm okay with that. Okay. You know, but you just, you, you try to deal with all the risks you can think of. And sometimes there will be risks you can't think of. Right. Or there will be circumstances that simply... Uh, the, things will have changed, right? Things that you can't anticipate. I always say this is the challenge. So I'll use this as a clever segue for financial for just a moment. Ooh, good. Uh, the challenge with a financial plan is that they are never done. That, I mean, they're done in a moment. You could say, all right, we've completed a strategy and looking forward, everything looks tidy, does what it's supposed to, and we're all agreed upon, high five. And then Congress goes and changes a law or something, and all of a sudden the, the tax strategy that you had in place doesn't function the same way any longer. Right. Uh, and plus the fact that we're dealing with moving targets constantly. So your rates of return and assumptions about inflation and all those things could be modified. So you try to build cushion into your expectation and you try to build flexibility or you just build in flat out margin, right? So, hey, you're going to need X number of dollars is the minimum. So we're going to make sure that you're 10% higher than that. And that should give you a pretty good fighting chance of making it. Right. Uh, so, that's the best you can do, though, because circumstances are not fully predictable, right? And and I, my, my experience even in law is that you cannot plan for everything. So And the other is, correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but if I build flexibility into a contract, um, can I, what happens when I build too much flexibility in, I guess? Ah. Right? So... You know, you think, hey, I'm going to be clever. Let me leave this sort of open-ended for these different situations. But, right, 
So you sound like you've heard this before. Oh, I've got a great answer for you. Okay. I will give it to you. But let's grab a break. All right, so perfect. We'll grab the next break when we come back. This is the what-if contract and what could go wrong. Well, we're going to get some uh, free legal insight when we come back. Stick around. This is David Littlejohn. And Derek Simmons. Yeah, True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240, KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with special guest and attorney extraordinaire, Mr. Derek Simmons. Howdy. So, Derek. When we left our heroes before the break, we were talking about contracts. And I know all of our listeners are like, oh, the contract's so exciting, <laughs> right? Uh, and the context of the contract discussion is, w- can you do some of this yourself? At, to which, you know, this is sort of like asking the, uh, you know, the fox in the hen house, I suppose. But when you're asking the attorney whose job is to get paid to do this, and I go, all right, so you do this yourself, and you're, you're saying is you, you can, but yeah, there, so are, there are mistakes you could make. You, you can, and there's a decent chance in the right circumstances that it's going to work out well. Right. And yet, uh, if it doesn't, it's often really expensive. That's, that's where I would say it's always, always, always more expensive to try to fix a screwed up contract or a non-existent contract than it is to do it right the first time. Right. I mean, far more expensive. Yeah, in, unless there's agreement by all parties, I suppose, in which case you go, well, then it's pretty easy because everybody then it's signs really the easy. amendment. Yeah. Because uh, I always view contracts as more like the, you know, if the handshake fails, right? If you are on really good terms, like let's say, Derek, you and I, we decide to go into a partnership on something. I'm going to, I'll pick something that's sort of realistic, but, you know, way out there. Uh, and it's not because, well, you know why. Uh, let's say that we wanted to buy a piece of commercial property and we both wanted to move our practices into a, a building together. Right. Right. And we unintentionally, for whatever reason, never got contracts signed and we were kind of winging it. Right. And then we ran into like a real snafu with the uh, contractors and expenses and everything else just kind of went all pear-shaped. Right. Right. Using a lot of really technical terminology here. There, are, I can see really two pathways on this, right? I mean, the one pathway is we look at each other and go, "Well, shoot, we better figure this out," and then we just sit down and figure it out, and everybody's happy, and we, well, or, you know, everybody's satisfied with the solution. We may not be happy with what's going on, but we or, just kind of or deal. everybody puts their finger on the nose and see who's the last guy to do that, and then that person has to pay the extra costs. Yeah, which, which is which is why my finger's on my nose right now. I see. Well, Katie's not here, oh. so uh, the. <laughs> So I literally put my finger on my nose in the studio. I'm like, wait a minute, what am I thinking? It's a law. Uh, ex- exactly. That was uh, never mind. So if we got along, you're saying really not a big deal. It's it's just if you run into these issues where you go, all right, well we can't settle it. It's time to fall back on the agreement. Right, and you can't you can't count on it always working because of the alien takeover. Sure, sure. So okay. Uh, so then let me, t- I'm curious about contracts that are poorly enforced. Like, like now this, this may actually be true wealth advice for you. At the end of the show, I'm going to be like, all right, so Ooh. get to the halfway point, And this is going to be the stuff where, uh, I'm going to accidentally 
make Derek give away free legal advice and it's going to be hard for him to bill for it. Uh, but then some of you are going to be like, well, or maybe I'll call afterwards. <laughs> so I have been in situations where contracts existed, but provisions within the contract went either ignored or unenforced. And then at a later date, people wanted to come back and try to reinstitute the agreement. Yeah, that gets mushy. Right. And Can I give you a good example? Please do. All right. So this often happens in a, a lease where the tenant pays the rent late every month, every month. And it varies from two days to 18 days. And at some point, the landlord gets tired of it and goes, you know what? I'm going to kick them out. And so then they say uh, that what they want to say is you're late and you've been late every month for, you know, two Ever. years. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm kicking you out. And what they have to do instead is send a letter that says, hey, I have waived that due date going previously, previously. But as of now, going forward, I am reinstating it. You have to give them a warning that you're going to hold them accountable going forward. You can't can't reinstate it going backward because it's been waived over and over. Oh, so now now I want to get into fun legal territory. You're going to love. So homeowners associations. Oh, yeah. Big fun. Okay. So, hey, uh, years ago, my neighbor put up this fence that doesn't comply with all of the rules of our homeowners association and our covenants and restrictions and so forth. And now new person says, I want to put up a fence. And the homeowners association says, no. And they say, well, you let this person do it. Now what? Yeah, I heard that same argument from my 10-year-old and my 8-year-old yesterday. Okay. No fair. The other guy got to. How come I don't have to? How come how come he has to? Yes. All that all that stuff. So, what's the The difference answer? is the 8-year-old and the 10-year-old didn't sign a contract. Yeah. And <laughs> and it is messy if you don't enforce stuff. It is really really messy. But the important part in a homeowner association is that's a contract. When you go to closing and you sign all your documents, your deed actually says, and even if it doesn't, it's implied, subject to conditions, restrictions, uh, and re- conditions and restrictions of record. Okay, so, so, so what it that is means a contract is, for land. It's a contract and it's under the, it's tied to the property. It was yeah. there before you bought it and when you bought it, you're subject to it. Now, the next thing that happens is the HOA doesn't, doesn't enforce it. Well, why doesn't the HOA enforce it? I will tell you. It is because they are volunteers. And only the people who get really excited about it are the people that volunteer for it, typically. Yeah, or they were, like, in the bathroom when the vote was taken. Yeah, that also is a good way to get officers, is don't be there. So, this the reason... I, I, these are real scenarios now I'm sharing yeah. with you. I'm not trying to air laundry, per se, but I'm totally airing laundry. <laughs> uh You've so you have a situation where a fence was willfully non-compliant. The HOA said it was non-compliant initially. The person in question threatened to sue the HOA, so they backed down and said, "All right, go ahead and do it." Right. And now somebody else comes back and says, "I want to do a fence the same way," and they say, "No, you can't." And I say, well, why did you let the other person do it? They said, because we were afraid they were going to sue us. So 
can the HOA go back after having approved something and then require the homeowner to fix it? The the crystal ball is murky on that one. It's going to be a fact question. Uh, it's it's there's not an easy law answer yeah. to that one. Well, and there's not even a clear law. And can the other one. person say, well, you've made an exception. And so that you've now essentially made it fair game for everybody else to do it, too. Yeah. Here's what you've got is good arguments. You've got right. good arguments. This is like you've established a new precedent, if you will, with well, the HOA. So here, here's your argument. The guy who wants to build the fence says, look, you are stopped. E-S-T-O-P-P-E-D. You are stopped from enforcing this rule because you waived it before. And the HOA, well, actually, the HOA should go first. It says, we have a written rule that says you cannot do this. And then the other guy says, no, you're a stop from making that argument because you you uh, waived it before. Yeah, because you, or because you've only selectively enforced it and you've played favorites inappropriately. And this is one of the times when, even though it's a giant pain in the butt, um, that's why we have courts. Yeah, yeah. They make the call. You, you can't know in advance. So knowing that you're going to end up in court before you reach a, an answer, that's what causes people to settle. Right, because it would just get expensive. It's going to get expensive. And it's and I will tell you, the fence, however cool it would have been, is not worth the amount of money it probably will cost to litigate. And because they're litigating its HOA, the HOA is going to impose assessments against everybody. So you have to pay to sue yourself. The plaintiff's going to pay a portion of the defense costs and his his costs, you know? Right. So it's a mess. There's not an easy answer. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is real life, right? In, in the true wealth environment where you are trying to, you know, oh, I want to live in this great place. That is the danger of HOAs. I well, it, it is the danger of HOAs, but let but me. But it's also they're I'm not they're not always bad things, right? Well, I mean, let me yeah. let me tell you why they're they're necessary. Let's assume we don't have HOAs, and somebody builds a pig farm, right next to your backyard, with your swimming pool. You know, you don't want that. It's true. You don't want that. So how do you keep that from happening? Well, you have conditions and restrictions, right? And then somebody has to enforce them. And it's sad that you may not get involved until that pig farm gets started in construction, but then you'll get involved. Well, that's too late. Right. That's too late. So it's a really hard deal, but we need HOAs because they Uh, keep your neighborhood values higher. I am not actually opposed to HOAs. I'm opposed to people that enter into contracts and then try to flake on them. But that's kind of my my thing in general is it's like a speed limit, right? Look, if you get caught speeding, you just accept the penalty because that was the rule. That's okay? a consequence. I'm not saying that you can't speed. I'm saying if you get caught, that's what happens. And that's sort of my take on the HOA is that if your neighbors let it slide, then it must not have been that important. But if any of them wants to enforce it, then you just have to be prepared that if you're going to violate the rules and get called on it, then you're going to deal with the consequences. You can throw a tantrum, but it doesn't mean you're not on the hook for it. Well, the other the other uh, variable that we didn't talk about is there's a turnover. So it may be that the HOA board that chose not to fight with the original fence builder has been out of office long ago. Everybody in the neighborhood may have turned over the property. So now you've got completely new players. What does that mean? And that is a really messy question. Right. Well, that's sort of my question that is really unresolved is 
at what point is a contract so far out of compliance that it's just sort of nullified? Where you've just thrown everything out the window, you've done nothing right. Is there a statute of limitations or something where you realize, you know what, we've been screwing this up for 20 years, and now we're trying to fix it, and we've been operating wrong. What, what happens? There are, I've got a book that's about an inch and a half thick of statutes of limitations. Mm-hmm. So it varies depending on what you, the, I thought you had to memorize those in law school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did in law school, but then I passed the bar and I didn't need it anymore. Now I've got a book. Oh, that's, I know where to find the answer. It's like my where my phone number lives. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, at any rate, uh, you have this statute of limitations for various things. So, for example, the statute of limitations on violating a contract is different than the statute of limitations for making a payment. So if I owe you a payment and I don't make the payment, then the uh, the statute of limitations on collecting is is seven years after the final payment was due, whereas the statute of limitations on a regular contract claim might be shorter. Okay. It's So it depends on the nature of the claim. When can you just disregard the thing entirely? Uh, there is not a rule on that. Gotcha. So playing with fire. Yes. Everybody's playing with fire. In your case, it's the HOA and the landowners are, are both playing with fire. Right. So, all right. Then what you're saying is no matter how badly your HOA has messed up in the past, if you have volunteered to get in the mix on that one, it's probably still in your best interest to start gravitating back toward compliance. I think it makes sense for everybody to gravitate toward compliance. The other thing I would do is when the HOA is ready to grapple with this, I would record something that says that fence was an exception. And we are now acknowledging that exception and we're approving it here. And probably you'd put conditions on it. Like, yeah, and moving forward, yeah, it's gonna not going to happen like again. This thing. Right. And if you sell, it's gone. Or if you, it runs with the land on this one. Just make it permanent and draw the line in the sand. Perfect. Well, look, so I have these other random questions that come back to sort of land use stuff that I just, now you've got me all interested. But we've got to take our last break or we're going to run out of time. So if you will just... Bear with me. We'll we'll do this one. Then I come. Back. I want to ask you the question about the gold in the, the yard gold? thing. That the gold in the yard. Yeah. So, all right, everybody, we're going to ask Derek about gold in them air hills when we come back. This is David Littlejohn and Derek Simmons. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at four on News Radio 1240 KQEN. So, Derek, what happens if I build my fence and I'm like over the property line by six inches? Well, you're wrong. Okay. And the other property owner can make you take it out. Okay. But what if we have a dispute over where the landline is? Well, there's going to be a deed. I'm not sure what your what okay. your dispute's about. Okay. What if we all agree to it and it just goes on, though, and then they sell There's the property and the new neighbor comes in and says, hey, wait a minute, we just had this surveyed and you're on my side of the property line. Yeah, it was too easy when I just said, look at the deed, wasn't it? It was oh, okay. just too easy. There's, there is something called adverse possession, which is where you say, I have always thought this was my property. I treated it as my property. I was open and notorious about it. Everybody knew this was my property. I'm notorious for sure. You certainly are, a number of friends. But anyway, because I was open and notorious and I've treated it as my own, it is now mine. And there's a period of time uh, that you have to do that. 
and you have to intend to pay taxes on it. And there are, there are all sorts of rules that go around that. And it's a fairly frequent case that happens in our part of the country. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have kind of odd-shaped lots and topography and so forth. So we do. being off a few inches here and there can totally happen. Yeah. Okay. But it, like all these other things, it's easier to just say, hey, I appear to be off by eight inches. I'll pay for the survey. Can I give you a few dollars and can we just make it mine? Is the easiest resolution. Mm-hmm. It's and only you, if the other guy's unreasonable. You just want to move your fence like three inches a year. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to move it over gradually. That'll be fun. <laughs> it's like a chain link, and you just keep resetting one post <laughs> here and there. Uh, don't do that. Don't be shady. Uh, so it this is always interesting to me, then, uh, when something is uh, – so, you know, in the insurance world, you talk about – it's it's funny what, what liabilities versus what ownership benefits you get. So – you know, the land is defined and so forth. But, you know, I put a swimming pool in my backyard with a fence around it and the neighbors climb the fence and jump in it and die. And and it's my liability issue. Right. Well, yes, it is. And because it's considered an attractive nuisance. Right. Yeah. It's you're one res- of the you're more responsible for that. Ridiculous things. That somebody breaking in it, it's like, uh, you know, somebody breaks into your house, they climb through the window and they break their leg falling in to rob you and then they sue you for it. That does seem goofy. Yeah, it seems I, goofy. I can't defend that one, but I will. Let me let me try it the other way. Let's suppose you build an attractive nuisance. You build a pool and you don't build a fence. And and people trespass on and it depends on their age. Let's suppose this is like a seven year old, six year old. And they fall in and maybe you've even got like toys laying around out on the diving board. Well, that is an attractive nuisance. That's a recipe for disaster. So it's like, and maybe I put like a bunch of Reese's pieces leading along the them, way. Leading them there. Now we've uh, taken our we've taken our uh, our example uh, around the bend a little bit. OK, so we've officially gone. But we anyway, jumped the shark there. But got anyway, it. so. Okay, so we get the the attractive nuisance thing and how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. The reality is that if you have something, you know, I will say like, oh, well, I left my car unlocked and so somebody went for a joyride. No, that's still wrong. Isn't isn't it Spider-Man that said with cool toys comes great responsibility? Um, I think you might be butchering that quote it, slightly. It? It's possible. Yeah. I mean, I like where you're going with it, but no, I really don't. Um, <laughs> so let's say that... Um, you gave me a fun example. So I, if I am trespassing. Yeah, this is a fun one. So, so I'm trespassing on your land. Right. And I discover. Buried gold. Gold. You you find that that giant box that's hidden in the cave in the part of the property I never go to. We're talking about like Goonies kind of stuff here. Yes. So I find One-Eyed Willie's treasure ship on your property. That's what you find. Okay. And so you're you're trespassing, so ordinarily it wouldn't be yours. But it's found property. And it's valuable, and I didn't know it was there. Who do you think gets the money? Well, I would like to believe that the landowner gets the money. That's part of the benefit of being the landowner. But I'm going to guess you're going to tell me the trespass. Well, I will tell you that's not an unreasonable thought. But then again... It's also, you know, there's this law, finders, keepers. I mean, I'm not sure that's actually written down in that way. But if you find 
uh, abandoned property, it is available for claiming, right? What if I claim it wasn't abandoned? Well, if you knew about it, if you can, if you can argue that you knew about it, it's a whole different deal. Well, I wanted to keep it secret, but I've <laughs> always known about it. Well, as long as you're not a giant liar head, you know, that's a possible argument. Well, the trespasser was a giant liar head in not, a sense, no. too. He, he came forward and said, look, I was trespassing on your land without permission and That's you what found trespassing this, the, is. And you found the hidden stuff I'd put there. Yeah, I found this hidden stuff. And or, I forgot that I put it there, and I have no recollection of having ever done it, but I know I did. Dave, I'm not calling you a liarhead, but I think all of our audience is thinking you are. No. That's all I'm saying. At any rate, let's suppose this happens. There actually is an Oregon case that touches on this, and it's from the early part of the 20th century, so it's 19... 12, 19, 19, something like this. And in this particular case, guy sold the property. Property had a buried fuel tank on it. Back then, that was a good thing. Mm-hmm. Buried fuel tank on it. And then he came and took the fuel. After he sold the property, he came and took the fuel and used it. And the court said, yeah, he could do that. He could do that. The buyer didn't know it was there. It was no loss to him. I disagree with the court's interpretation. I understand. I will tell you what you do today. If it's buried treasure, you settle. Okay? You settle. And if you don't, you come see me and we will litigate the heck out of it. Yes. Because it sounds like a fun one. I said, this is where, how do they reach you? (laughs) (laughs) My number is 673-5528, Watkinson, Laird, Rubenstein. Okay. So... And not one of, are any of them still practicing? I think Rubenstein is still. They're wonderful people and I get to see them through. They're all around and they're all great, just so you know. Like, I, I love all the guys at the firm and the gals too. Great firm. But, uh, all right, so one more time that number 673 5528. There you go. 673 And as always, if you've got financial questions, I know today was an obscure show, but we had fun. The financial questions are 375-0898. Derek, thanks for joining us today and pinch hitting. Thank you. All right. Until next time, this has been David Littlejohn. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN.